0: Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity.
1: Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be
0: joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door.
1: So hi, welcome back to our podcast, The Ugly Truth About The Girl Next Door. I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. And today we have two very, very amazing special guests with us. Um, Margaret, Emily Um So Margaret is the sister of a young woman who lost her life to suicide almost a year ago now. You know, as we talked about in our last episode, September is National Suicide Prevention Month. So we really want to highlight kind of that issue. And we want to talk about how trauma can feed into that. We talked in our episode last time about how trauma survivors are 29% more likely to have um, suicidal behaviors and ideations. So um, now to be talking with uh, you two ladies who have firsthand experience of losing someone is pretty heavy. Let me let you guys jump in. Margaret, why don't you go ahead and introduce introduce yourself?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm Margaret, um, and my former name was Kiel. Um, for those of us, for those of the people listening who um, would have known our family. Um, I grew up on Grand Island, and I attended Whitehaven Road Baptist Church, it's Cornerstone Church, um, until I was in high school, and I currently live in the Midwest with my husband Tim, who is also from Grand Island, and our three children. I first heard about the Ugly Truth podcast um, a couple months after it began, and it shocked me but i definitely believed kate's disclosures right away to be the truth i never talked to my family about it including my sister gretchen um that's something i'll regret for the rest of my life and yeah we're here today to talk about her emily do you want to introduce yourself
3: yeah my name is emily sorello and i also grew up on grand island i did not attend Whitehaven baptist church i grew up catholic I also went to school off Island. However, I knew Gretchen through the swim club, Grand Island Swim Club. And I have, you know, we were best friends for a very long time. um, You know, up until her passing. And I had heard about the podcast probably a few months after you had started it in that spring. And I started following on social media, but admittedly, was not listening to the podcast. I do listen to podcasts. So I have a whole slate (laughs) that I try to get through um, when I'm in my car or walking the dog. And it was something that I spoke about with our other best friend, Ashley, a lot. And she would kind of fill me in and she was paying more close attention to the podcast at that time. It wasn't until a few months after that, that Margaret called me the day after Gretchen had passed and my heart sank and I collapsed to the floor and all of a sudden everything came together often like the puzzle pieces that Kate talks about and that's when it hit me that oh my god was this
1: afflicting my friend this whole time and I had no idea. I think it's one thing to talk about you know suicide and to talk about trauma and it's over there right kind of how we say with with my story it's over there it only happens to other people but to have this conversation and for you guys to be so personally connected it's a lot so i hear that respect that and i'm i'm really grateful that you guys are willing to talk about this today. And we talk about Gretchen, who she was, her life experiences, who she was as a person. I I did grow up with Gretchen at Whitehaven Road Baptist Church, now Cornerstone. Um, She was in my circles of friends for my younger years when I was in elementary school. We definitely lost touch when I went to CCA in middle school, but then kind of were back in high school together and my thoughts and feelings and remember this amazing young woman amazing kid uh, that I grew up with but I would love to hear from you guys about who she was.
2: I'll start about my sister um yeah so our conversation today is about some really difficult things in Gretchen's life but I'm so grateful for the opportunity to start off by um, just saying that she was so much more than yeah. those difficult things um she was, A brilliant light in the lives of everyone who knew her um she was the most generous spirit i have ever known she was bright and funny and she was irreverent and she was insightful and she was profound and she was vulnerable and she was so strong um she had about a billion friends and she was like the darling of our extended family like everybody's favorite niece and cousin not that I'm jealous but (laughs) um yeah she was just this bright light and on top of all that she was um she had an amazing career she was a talented and dedicated nurse practitioner as well um and that was really important to her um little things she found joy in so many things she loved like anything warm. She loved beaches and sunshine and summer like summer festivals. She lived in the Midwest and we have fests like all over the place. She was at every single one. Um she loved reading mystery books like the silly kind of lighthearted kind of mystery books like um I don't know, like The Cat Did It with the Scalpel or something like goofy <laughs> mystery books and she never liked it when those th- sort of things got too dark. Um She, other things she loved, she loved like shopping and buying clothes. She had this whole closet full of clothes, but then she would just loaf around in like cozy, huge, gigantic, oversized bathrobes all day, every day. Um, she loved sandwiches. She called them Sammies and would like melt them in the oven and they were delicious. Um, speaking of other melted things she loved, Emmy knows this one. She, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm going to say, right? She loved string cheese, like at room temperature, but she would like sit on it to warm it up. even, <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird, but true. That is what she would do. Like, um, my gretchen um she she loved notes she loved like giving and receiving cards and notes from people and saved tons and tons of those um she loved music um all sorts of music and just having a good time um i do want to say um that she believed in god and she grew her faith very diligently um over many years she studied she prayed she sought fellowship and that was really important to her so yet she was a whole complicated, messy, amazing human being. Um, that's, that's my Gretchen.
0: That's a great description. And yeah. aren't we all messy? Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah.
3: Wonderful. And I think that's something that Gretchen struggled with a little bit too, was um, not seeing the mess in other people mm. and mm-hmm. thinking, you know, all these struggles were, something only she had to bear. And we had so many conversations over the years about religion and the patriarchy Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, what it means to be a working woman in today's world and what do we see for our future and what do we want and and wrote so many notes and back and forth to each other. I still have not had the I don't know what, what it's called to go through all of those yet. Um, but I have so, 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 so many. And that's one of the things Margaret shared with me that when she passed, there was a note from me in her bed, you know, next to her bed. Um, and she gave it to me and now it's next to my bed. Good. (laughs) And, (laughs) um, yeah, she really was a light. And we could have conversations, so 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 many deep conversations, but also so many silly, goofy, maybe even stupid ones. And we loved um, you know, I mean Margaret, you brought up the, the mystery novels, like the funny ones. Yeah. Like we loved certain Disney movies and constantly quoted them. And, you know, things that even when I Ashley has shared some notes. That she had found, and I can't even remember like the all of the inside jokes. Like what we were we talking about at that time, but we clearly thought it was hilarious <laughs> and the best thing ever. And I hope that she left this world knowing that all of us loved her so much.
1: I mean, talk a little bit about the bright world, dark world part of that, right? So obviously yeah. you just shared Gretchen's Bright World, sounds pretty amazing, pretty bright in her bright world I remember her as a swimmer I remember her as playing all kinds of sports and like you said she had a bazillion friends and all the things so um but what's the flip side of that right what do you guys remember in terms of having that really severe split
2: yeah the bright world dark world analogy that you use is um a wonderful way to kind of describe and envelop these things um yeah she had a very dark world um starting very young in middle and especially in high school, she um, started dealing with an eating disorder um, and some other behavioral issues. Um, Those continued her whole life. Um, And then in addition, in her uh, mid to late 20s, she started to drink heavily and drink secretly. Um, She would get this starting around then um she would just like there was so much anger she would get so angry she would get so angry at people close to her um but she most especially would get extremely angry at herself um it felt really really destructive um so this is her mid to late 20s i'm not going to go into like a ton of detail but you can imagine with all the drinking and all the anger there was just a string of lost jobs and failed romantic relationships, um, legal trouble, et cetera, et cetera. Um, She seemed headed for total destruction and the dark world was everywhere. It was miserable. And at that point, it seemed hopeless. Um, I have a more... To describe about how she would kind of come in and out of that dark world. But I just want to pause because Emmy was there for a lot of that when Gretchen was in her mid to late 20s. So um, if Emmy had any thoughts.
3: Yeah, I, um, you know, I started to notice uh, some things late towards the end of our college careers. Um, And then when we were, you know, out in the real world working, that's when I started to notice. The eating disorder was hundred percent prominent, and there, and very much so worried about her health. And I knew she was too, but she also did not want to talk about it. From there, it really, like Margaret described, the drinking intensified, and so did relationships with abusive men,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and. I also don't want to share all of the details, but you know there, there were many times where I would go if Gretchen called because she needed help getting out of a situation. And I am so glad I was able to be there for those moments and help her through them because I don't know what would have happened at that point if we didn't. And that includes Ashley too. Um, and kind of like Margaret said though, when she was in this dark world, you might not have heard from her for a while, but you would keep connect, trying to connect and reach her and and be there for her. And then she would come back and, and be this bright light again. And But as the older she got, the more that was fading and the longer she was spending in that dark world. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And so, right, this is where we're at. Yeah. Um it seemed, I think we were, I know I was starting to prepare myself for like the worst, like the phone call where the terrible car crash happened. Right. Or something like that. Um, yeah, that was the dark world had really taken over. Um, but then there was a miracle, a miracle happened. Um, she got pregnant and, um, just to be clear. Um, so the rest of the story makes sense. Um, she was not in a relationship with the baby's father, and I just would prefer not to say the baby's name on here. Um, the people who are listening who know us will know who he is, but just for the wider audience, his name doesn't need to be out there. And I'm sure everyone understands that. Um, so I'll just refer to him as Gretchen's son throughout. Um, so yeah, Gretchen's son, uh, changed everything. Um, she instantly got sober and moved with my mom and dad to Wisconsin. This was like bright world years. Um she spent years raising her son and pursuing her career and of course being Gretchen, she built community wherever she went with her um town and her church. Um they felt like the bright world was her whole world. She had this fresh start and she had um help and support. She was in support groups. She had good friendships. Um And most importantly, she stayed sober um, for a good three years. During the first winter of the pandemic, in the winter of 2020, that those cracks started to open back up again. Um, I think it did for many people because we were all so isolated. Um, There were a few weekends where she would just disappear. um, And she was drinking again during those weekends. Um, She... I won't go into those too much, but um, they were scary, dark weekends. Um, They were still at this point, like pretty few and far between. So um, it was really just very close family and friends who knew. And she still had a lot of help and support and community to stay well. And she fought to stay well. And largely she did. Things stayed pretty normal. Um, It wasn't until the summer of 2022, last summer, that things started to really fall apart. She went into a deep, deep depression. Um, and it was for about six weeks in the summertime. She was sometimes drinking, sometimes not, um, but just did not leave her house for six weeks. Um, I believe she stopped, stopped taking her prescribed medications or at least wasn't taking them regularly. Um, she, it was just this shrunken place. Her dark world was just this shrunken, small, space and she would sleep all day. Um, she would eat a little bit. She'd be angry. Um, she would maybe drink. Um, and she just really didn't talk, talk to anyone. Um, she was just totally closed off. Nothing seemed to help. And again, we were like preparing ourselves for the worst at that point. Um, after, like I said, like six weeks of this, um, this is getting hard she made um she made an effort to survive she made one final effort to survive um by the fall of 2022 she got out of her house and she got a new nursing job and she reconnected with her friends and her community um her son again um but it was short-lived and the drinking and the depression started coming more frequently and for longer stretches and the last time i saw her alive was on christmas day last year Um, And she that day made an enormous effort to be happy and festive, even though she was exhausted. Um, I'll never forget it. She wore this antique bracelet that I got her and that I'm still wearing right now. Um, She was so much fun with all the little kids. And after that, we texted about a few random things in the following days kind of kept it light. But by new year's Eve, she was drinking heavily and while i can't ever know what her exact thoughts were i think she was done i think she was done with the world and she died on new year's day in her bed with a with a short note full of love for her family next to her i i feel naked i don't feel like those details belong to anyone and sharing them makes me feel completely exposed and naked and I hope that listeners are hearing this and treating it with the reverence and respect that it deserves because that's how she died. And there's no more bright world and there's no more dark world because there's no more Gretchen. And so, yeah, you, we started this, you asked about um these bright and dark worlds and it's been a long answer, right? But I hope this, gives everyone a picture of how she fought and then fell and then fought and then fell and fought over and over again. And that she fought for as long as she could.
1: Yeah, no, it absolutely does. I'm, I'm so, sorry is not even the right word. Um, heartbroken. Mm -hmm. And, uh, as I said in the beginning of all this, um, it's very easy to, for our listeners and for the world to kind of think about it, like I said, as something else that happens over there, it happens to other people, um, but hearing about it in the context of uh, a great, amazing human being who fought and fought and fought and couldn't fight anymore is different. It hits differently. Um, so I'm really, I'm grateful for you guys opening that box and opening that wound for everyone to kind of come to terms with and have to face down the fact that, nope, this happens and the fight is effing hard. (laughs) It's so hard and it's so real and it's so much. Thank you for sharing all of that. I'm, I'm heartbroken and grateful.
3: I can say is Gretchen truly did fight and those ups and downs. And she was trying to come out the other side Mm -hmm. the entire time she was going through it. And she did not want to give up. She did not want to give into it. Um, And when she did get pregnant, she was, she gave birth still in Buffalo and, and I got to be there when her son was born and you know, I have a lot of happy memories from that time. And one of the things, you know, throughout our friendship, I don't even know how many years, 25 years, um, there's so many little stories of Gretchen taking care of me. And I mentioned some of these at her memorial services of even when she was pregnant, I sliced my finger open, I was trying to make a nice dinner for her, she had to go into nurse action and help me and uh, when she, when I went to visit her in the hospital after she gave birth, we went to go see the baby, and I put her in, in a wheelchair. And my wheelchair skills are horrendous. <laughs> and we hit like every door and frame and anything you could imagine. And it's something I always think about now. You know, if I have to push someone in a wheelchair or or help someone, I apologize first, <laughs> first and foremost, and I think of Gretchen. Um, And she probably was in a lot of pain and she just laughed through it. And when she moved to Wisconsin, could tell she was on a good path. She was doing better. You could always kind of tell. And Margaret alluded to this a few weeks before she passed. She reached out to both Ashley and I to schedule a time to talk. And we did schedule a time. um, And this is something I regret. It happened to be when Buffalo was hit with the blizzard and I live in the city of Buffalo and I was trying to be boots on the ground and helping people who did not have access to food or water or, um, you know, anything, any way I could help. And um, I totally forgot about that call, which is very much unlike me i am usually mm-hmm. like type a organized on top of my calendar kate's probably already <laughs> figured this out um and we did not have that that um last call and i wish we had i don't know if it would have changed anything I'm, it for all of
1: us in new year's day
3: will never be the same though no
1: can you comment a little bit on addictions and on the fights in when there's been trauma um, and just that whole like briefly that road from so eating disorders i would say in situations like this
0: also fall under the same umbrella in terms of addictions you know it becomes an addiction to something that somehow numbs the agony of living with trauma um and Uh, I mean, addictions are hard to overcome, even when it is not born out of trauma. But when it is born out of trauma, you're not only trying to overcome the brain impact of an addiction. And again, an eating disorder does create changes in the brain, and how the brain is functioning. And therefore, it is an addiction just as much as alcohol or cocaine or whatever. Um, And so it's already hard enough to pull free of what's happening in the brain. And then to also, even if you so you're telling me that Gretchen did that several times. She managed to pull free of the physical addiction, but the trauma was still sitting there. And then she still had to learn, how do I live with the trauma that I'm carrying? And I hear that she fought to be able to do that. And she tried, but it was too heavy. Mm-hmm. And so the overlap of that for people who um, struggle and strain to figure out how to live with it, but when it's too heavy, it's too heavy. shame. So-
3: Around not only addiction, um, the trauma that she carried, that she she carried that as shame and held it inside of her. And I anyone who is listening to this that has gone through something similar, or even you grew up on Grand Island and endured this horrific abuse at this church or somehow connected to this church. You are not alone. We know there are other survivors and it's so terrifying to come forward so much so that our friend and family member would rather have not been here anymore than to have told that to someone. And we would much rather have you here with us and we will not judge you and if you do not want to share your story publicly, you do not have to. There is a safe space for you in this circle that Kate has created. And I hope, I hope other women out there know
0: that, that are, I know they are listening. I would add to that, that it seems like it's too heavy to carry and to say it out loud feels like it just becomes heavier and I understand that I've been in that space in other situations, but in reality, the opposite is true yeah. that speaking it and getting people around you actually makes the burden lighter, but you it's so hard to believe that when you're in the middle of that moment of like, I can't
1: even get the words out. Yeah. Um, so let's back up just so that our listeners know what we're talking about. Um, So, obviously we've talked about Gretchen and and you, Margaret, growing up in the church on Grand Island that I grew up in. Um, Can you guys, can you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up there, what your perspective is on Gretchen's past, her trauma that she was carrying? Can you talk a little bit about, again, in as much detail as you feel comfortable, no pressure from here?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I um I largely don't want to be here talking about any of this at all but the one cool thing that I get to say um to your international following in case they didn't know it already this church sucked. Um, <laughs> I did not like it at all. Um we we began attending in when I was in first or second grade when we moved to Grand Island from the Midwest we were new to the town new to the church um And people have already described what an insular, clicky environment it was. It was really hard to make friends. Um, The families who were the most well-established there had the most power. um, And that went right from the parents down to the children. And, like, I don't blame the kids. Like, it was not their fault. And I was, like, a shy, awkward kid anyway. Like, it is not the kid's fault. But it is certainly the adult's fault for creating that sort of uncomfortable environment. Um, I know Gretchen and I were both nervous to go every single Sunday and relieved when it was over. Um, And besides that, like, insular cult-like vibe, I would like to speak for a minute um, about the extremely damaging spiritual formation that went on there. And I know that has been addressed um, before on this podcast, but just it's so... um, connected to Gretchen and her trauma that I just want to talk about it a little bit Um, through the like what it was like for me there and so you can see what it was like for her there Um, yeah first of all the leadership there at Whitehaven Road Cornerstone was entirely men it probably still is Um, but they taught us that was the way it should be and like I remember one example the Sunday following the September 11th attacks um, I was 16 years old and we were in church and the pastor called all the men in the sanctuary forward to like have this prayer and this blessing over them so that they could like lead our church and lead our country for us. And like sitting there, I remember thinking it was like this strong and beautiful thing. Like I thought I needed those men to lead me. I thought that was awesome. Um can you imagine? <laughs> I would walk out now. Oh my God. Um yeah that church also um this has been said, it was obsessed with purity culture and the burden was absolutely placed on girls to avoid being objects of temptation and sin. Um, another thing I remember is the women who led the high school youth group, they, um got us all the girls together and offered to sew sleeves onto our prom dresses so that we would be like modest and a better witness it was all video, um, but like lori's jaw just like hit the ground
1: for because we're not <laughs> the video part portion of this but like and i wish we were like <laughs> yeah feel, like, like, like you're like a pretty right? modest person and you're yeah. like what <laughs>
2: And I remember being like, oh, should I have, should they do that? Like, maybe I should bring in my prom dress. I don't want to be a temptation.
3: And I have heard that from other women who have, who attended there and the shame they felt from these moms Mm -hmm. in that church telling them they were tempting men. And if something were to happen, it, it would have been their fault.
2: Yes, that's what exactly. I mean, that's like what I'm getting to. It was like it was all about purity. Um, The general idea was that if a boy or a man ever made any advances, it was because we had tempted them. Um, I had no idea you could say no to boys or men. No idea whatsoever. And um, if something happened and you were no longer pure, um, um, being less than pure meant that you were worthless and broken in your sin. Um so like for me even though my family we weren't going a ton by the time I was in high school like this stuff was still extremely formative extremely formative and I cannot emphasize enough how horribly sinful sex was considered like premarital sex was probably the worst thing you could ever ever do. And, um, while I was not physically abused by the men at the church. I can absolutely 1000% understand how girls who were felt that it was their secret and their shame and that they deserved what was happening and that the needs of the men were more important and that they were the authorities, um, yeah that um that's what it was like there, and I was fortunate, like I said, not to be a victim of abuse, and I was fortunate to move away and find new identities and new communities, but that was not the same for Gretchen that didn't happen for Gretchen, oh, as I said before,
1: I remember Gretchen very well um she I remember when you guys moved to Buffalo, I remember her being kind of the new kid at school and the new kid at church um, it, gravitated towards and connected with some of the people that were in my space as well um my circle of friends even at school really was church people right like I wasn't I didn't have a lot of like school friends because my parents really limited who I was allowed to hang out with and who I was allowed to play with and those were all girls that I went to church with Gretchen became one of them Uh, I remember about Gretchen and I will never forget when Ashley actually reached out to me last year to let me know that Gretchen had passed Uh, of Gretchen is she was very good friends with a girl whose father was an abuser. Uh, I've told this uh, experience before publicly, Um, an offender who I would go to their house and sleep over and uh, the mother would come and get me in the middle of the night to be taken to the father for um, for him to sexually abuse me. We we're very, very good friends with my parents, like grew up with them, knew them from, you know, the very beginning. Um, my mom was, was best friends with uh, the mom and the wife, uh, and um, Gretchen quickly was kind of ushered into this space and, and, I don't know, Margaret, maybe you can speak to this more, but it, from my view, it was the parents kind of putting the kids together, right? The, the, uh,
2: yeah, I think that's how I described it too. You're right.
1: Yeah. I don't know that she chose that friendship necessarily, but she became friends with, with this girl. Mm-hmm. Um, my memory is that there was a shift in, uh, we would have sleepovers all three of us. And I remember the mom coming and getting Gretchen instead of me, Um, in the middle of the night and I'm not going to go into kind of the emotional fallout and the emotional, the, the guilt and the, um, the guilt (laughs) that, uh, that was happening to her and that I knew what was about to happen to her, but also that I didn't stop it, that I didn't do anything to say, uh, not to do that to her. Um, and the guilt around the the relief that it wasn't me this time that I I didn't have to go. Um, you were about how old? Do you think? Oh, elementary school. Okay, yeah. Um. So yeah, I that was what I witnessed was that Gretchen was absolutely a victim of this particular offender, um, and yeah. I, I carry that guilt.
0: So oh. For everybody to remember, mm-hmm. you were in elementary school and about as stuck as a kid could be. Mm-hmm. So pause there, okay. right? To recognize that as we've talked about Gretchen's okay. life and talked about this bright light that she was and that bright world, dark world reality. And now as we're acknowledging the enormity of what she experienced and therefore was carrying to again, go back and recognize how hard she fought to keep going because she was carrying this huge burden, this huge secret. Um, no wonder she was struggling.
1: Yeah. And, and honestly, listening to you talk about her struggle, I am God. like, I know I get it right. Like I'm uh, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> it is the road is not easy. Um it's hard to stay. Yeah, and it's a really an every day decision. So um but man, the the fallout, you know. Okay. Um okay. So knowing what you, this is kind of what I do. Sorry. I like say hard things when I'm like, okay, we got to move on. Cause I, I don't want to open that box. So I realized that we never really said like how that came to be. So you guys yeah. in the beginning
0: said that you hadn't really been listening to the podcast.
3: Guys, I said our friend, Ashley, um, she was really, she was listening to the podcast for lack of a better word, religiously and would talk to me about it. And I was following on social media, but hadn't started listening yet. The day I got that call from Margaret, I said, I'm going to listen to all of the episodes in the next seven days and take notes and went into full, that's the only thing I, I could think of to do. And I said, Ash, what if Gretchen was a victim of this abuse? And we both kind of sat with that and were, it just, it's just like these puzzle pieces came together. And we just reflected back on all of this trauma we knew that we knew she had in- endured and her struggles throughout the years and, and what those looked like. And we didn't know what to do with it. So Ashley reached out to Kate and she said, I just want to let you know because I know you knew Gretchen. And Ashley said, I have to ask, but I don't expect you to tell me anything. I'm still going to ask. And Kate Said it's not my story to tell, and kind of thought about it for a while, and then decided to disclose to Ashley, and got permission for Ashley to disclose to me that she knew Gretchen was a victim of this abuse, and then Ashley and I did not know what to do with that. We did not know how to approach Margaret. You know, we were we weren't really sure where Margaret's headspace was with this podcast if she knew about it um anything like that and we're like how do we what like what do we do um and and when is the time to to talk to this person who just lost their sister this way so we just sat with it um I started listening to the podcast taking notes um doing more research that I could do on my own and You know, Margaret gave us the date for Gretchen's memorial services and and Ashley and I went and we thought, well, maybe if we have a chance to talk to, if we can get Margaret for a little time alone, maybe we can have that conversation with her because it wasn't something we wanted to call her up and talk to her about. We we did not have time to really talk to Margaret one-on-one at the services. You know, we flew into, after that, we kind of just didn't really know what to do. Um, Ashley and Margaret had some conversations and a lot of it actually kind of asked some just general questions like, do you know Gretchen had this trauma in her life? Or, you know, kind of like kind of more vague, mm-hmm. um, hoping that maybe like Margaret would know, maybe she did know or we didn't know. Um, and then, Kate, you kept podcasting and you did not talk about Gretchen at all or m- even, you know, allude to her at all. but you know, I started to leave, leave comments on posts and those comments started to get noticed by people, good people and bad people. And texted us, reaching out, asking if she could talk. And I know Margaret, you can say this in your own words. I know you were very nervous and mm-hmm. she was worried. We thought we were, she thought we were going to think she was crazy and asked if we could talk. And so I said, yep, absolutely. I, I went to Ashley's house we hopped on a zoom and we had like a two hour conversation and disclosed what we knew. And she disclosed what she knew and her own experiences in that church. And that's kind of, I hate to say it like brought us closer together. That's this horrific thing, but you know, we were really, obviously we knew Margaret, but we were really Gretchen's friends and we didn't know how to really bridge that gap there to say, Hey, like we're worried about this with, and we're worried you're going to think we're crazy people.
2: <laughs> and isn't that awful that we're all so afraid of speaking about these things and the secrets and shame that, you know, are have been so connected to them that we were nervous like that? Like, I'm, I'm so grateful to have inherited your friendships. And I'm so grateful to Kate for her thoughtful way of handling Gretchen's story. Um, Kate never um nothing has ever felt like exploitative Kate has always um asked waited till we come to her to ask and has been thoughtful and um generous and kind and gentle in handling this this story and so I am grateful to Kate for that. And I am so grateful to Emmy and Ashley for their patience. I, um, I, I didn't, for me, it was about March when my attention turned to the podcast a couple months after Gretchen died. And I just, I, from another friend knew some of the names you were naming were getting kind of closer and closer to my family. And, um, I started to, get kind of suspicious and um yeah like emmy said we had a long conversation i reached out to kate and um kate made the most credible disclosure about gretchen's experience there was no way any of it wasn't true um we've since gone through her journals um and found indirect and direct evidence she struggled with the abuse she wrote about it um, it's all there. It's all true. And it set her on this path. You know, she just, you look at her; she just screamed complex trauma. And um, Lori, I think it was in your last podcast, you described how, um, you know, um, predispositions to addiction and mental illness, like we, some people have those, and then it's life circumstances that make them manifest. And I think that that is very well said. And I think that is exactly what happened with Gretchen. It's not lost on me that these puzzle pieces all come together. It's not lost on me that like her final spiral coincided with the podcast coming to light. Um, so many more things make more sense about her big things like all these abusive relationships she had with men through her life, um, to little things like she was in her church here in Wisconsin. She was for always playing with the kids, like wherever the kids were, that's where Gretchen was. And I see now she wasn't just being an attentive parent. She was, she didn't want her son to be alone in a church building ever. Like just so many puzzle pieces, um, came together and yeah hard question yeah. <laughs> fallout been like, right.
1: Um, who are struggling with the middle, um, everyday decision for some to stay. Um, so I, I said in my, in our last episode, it's not a decision really. It's, it's, uh, stuck between a rock, a rock and a hard place. It's not really a decision. Um, the fallout then, right. I think it's important for people to hear, man, your guys' lives have changed forever. Um, it is that final thing. So what's that been like for you, especially Margaret now having Gretchen's son join your family, I'm sure,
2: you know, bittersweet there. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I just really quick want to speak to just addiction in general and the fallout from that. Um, because that was what we experienced for so long. Um, it's a disease that instead of bringing people together, it often tears people apart. And um, my family relationships were torn apart in a million ways because of that addiction. And it was the addiction. It wasn't Gretchen. It was the addiction. Um, it was survival mode. I think that's something like the impact fallout, just like living in survival mode um, for years um, as a family, um, I think it would agree like it, it has survival mode, like the January, February, March, like figuring this all out was just... Um, I think it just felt frantic all the time. Um, grief, like we were grieving long before she died. And then it just, it was like a shock and not a surprise at all. Um, speaking here today is not therapeutic. It's not empowering. Um, it's not a release. It's not helping me feel better. I don't want to be here. I want my sister back. And I want Emmy and Ashley to have their friend back. And I want her son to have his mommy back. And I want my parents, who, believe me, did everything they could for her and would have traded places with her in an instant. I want them to have her back. Like, we don't get any of those things. And there's no getting over that. We can't move on. We have to move forward. Um, Yeah, I want listeners to know, like we did, we're adopting um Gretchen's son. He's lived with us for this whole year now, and he is doing great. Um, he has love and he has support. And over and over again in her journals, she prayed for his safety. Every entry she ever wrote was about her son's safety and he is safe. He is safe like she always wanted.
0: Sometimes as a therapist, when someone is struggling with thoughts of suicide, it's it's a hard space. Obviously, I, as a clinician, I have an obligation to safety. Um, But there is also this struggle of to choose how to go through their hard things. When someone is thinking about that, helping them think about and play the movie of who's going to be, who's going to be at your funeral Mm -hmm. and how are they going to react and what's the burden that they're going to carry? And what does that look like a year from now, five years, 10 years? Because what you're saying is it will never be the same. You will never be the same. Mm -hmm. Your family narrative will never be the same. and sometimes for people when they are so caught up in completely legitimately their own pain, it is really hard to see how that ultimate decision now is going to create an impact and not in a way of guilt, like, and it can come off that way. Obviously you have to be careful about how you do that, but recognizing that it really is about calling attention to the fact that you matter, you are making a ripple in the world. And if your ripple suddenly is gone, that has a very real impact forever, forever and ever. Um, and that's what I think what you're talking about, that it's hard as the the person struggling with it to see that, but it's true. Yeah,
3: yeah. And I, um, a, a lot of times I think about a lot of people my age haven't experienced grief like this and have maybe only ever experienced a very elderly grandparent passing away. Was hard, and and I don't I don't have good words to share with anyone about that. It's hard and it sucks, and I think about Gretchen every day. And, um, you know, I wish no kid had to lose a parent like this.
0: But as I listen to all of to you guys talk about Gretchen and her life and the person that she was, is that. The amount of pain that she had to have been in to do this,
2: mm-hmm.
0: the person you're describing would not have carelessly left. No, it must have been crushing. Mm-hmm. I don't think I will ever know what that that weight feels like.
1: Try to be an ally now, moving forward. Mm-hmm. Next question could bring it all the way full circle. Um, what are your goals in sharing Gretchen's story, right? What are you hoping that people hear and what are you hoping
2: that um that happens now, I guess? Um, yeah, it's it's for Gretchen's son and for his older brother and sister that I'm sharing the story. It wasn't always a sure thing that I would. Um, I struggled with what to do, and Emmy and Ashley and Kate have been extremely patient and supportive. Um while I was deciding, um, yeah, Gretchen never told anyone. And so that makes it hard to do. And I don't want people to think of her as only some tragic victim. I risk that happening by telling everyone what she never did. Um, but yeah, here I am. Um, I know that she trusted me because it's the last thing she ever wrote and she trusted me to do the right thing. Um, So it is in her honor and inspired by her bravery that I'm here. I will be damned if I let these children grow up in a world of secrecy and shame. She wouldn't want it. I said at her memorial service and in her obituary, I said, darkness has no more power over Gretchen. Darkness has no more power over her. These abusers and their supporters have no more power over her. The secrets and the shame and the darkness belong to them now and them alone and they can rot with it for all i care their power to destroy my family has ended and we're not looking back
0: yeah and to speak the truth yeah absolutely Absolutely. yeah you're both talking about is this this message of empowerment and when i think about what are the factors that lead someone to complete suicide it is the agony of what they're living with it's also hopelessness Mm -hmm. it's a lack of empowerment that says no matter what I do no matter how hard I try no matter what happens I can't get free of this pain that I'm in and what you're talking about is not anymore we're not right anymore. we're not doing that anymore we're making space where people can come freely to find a message of hope yeah and relief from what they're carrying
2: yeah I um i I want people to think of suicide as an extremely common human condition. Um, You've mentioned the stats before. I think you did in um, your last episode, but just again, it's um, the ninth leading cause of death in 2021 for people ages 10 to 64 and a shocking second leading cause of death for kids ages 10 to 14 and then adults 20 to 34, 34. that is shocking. And honestly, it's probably being underreported. Um, So it is common. It is everywhere. And yeah, I think like, we're here to report. We're here to report that it is a mess. And I don't have anything comforting to say. I frankly hope that people are uncomfortable listening to this and that they get out of their comfort zones. Um, it's not about spreading some vague awareness. This happened this happened to us and it happened to my sister and it is still happening. And we all need to do the uncomfortable thing. We need to ask the tough questions. We need to spend a little money at mezzo and organizations that are out there trying to help. Um, We can help other people survive.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's as simple as that.
1: Nothing good happens in secrecy and darkness. Yeah guys thank you both so much for being with us today we i cannot say enough how thankful and grateful i am for the two of you for the connection um it has been an awful journey but a uh a really really uh safe and and hopeful space for me to connect with both of you so i'm really i'm truly grateful for you guys If you
0: or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P to 233